Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. joined by Dr. Ashish Jha. He's the Dean of Public Health at Brown University. He's also a regular medical contributor to Good Morning America, PBS NewsHour, CNN, and MSNBC. Since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, Dr. Jha has appeared on this program six times. In fact, I had hoped his most recent appearance back in January would be his last. But then... Unfortunately, this happened. Hospital transmissions are on the rise. Highly contagious Delta variant. Pediatric admissions Can are I go climbing. to a wedding? Can I go to a ball game? Can I go to a restaurant? Indoors, outdoor, mask, no mask. What it about is my very kids? important to get as many people vaccinated as we possibly US can. U.S. could see 200,000 new COVID infections a day in the continues fall. To drive up as the cases. Delta variant races through all 50 states, driving new case numbers uh, And upward. we've got a Delta variant that continues to spread across this country at great speed. With the rise in Delta cases and the sporadic return of mask mandates, there's a real fear of returning to what life looked like in 2020. I've certainly felt it in my day-to-day, especially in talking to family and friends. Everyone has all these questions that no one can seem to answer. So the goal of this episode was to pose some of those looming questions to someone actually qualified to answer them. Like every talk I've had with Dr. Ja, I leave it feeling more informed and slightly better about the state of this pandemic. I hope it brings you a similar relief. 
Dr. John, thank you for being here. Sam, thank you for having me back. Now, before we jump in, I saw something online that was pretty alarming because since we first started having these conversations, we've talked about eventually getting a beer in a bar. But then, just last month, I see a photo on Twitter of you and Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles. Oh, God. And I have to say, (laughs) you visit my city, you don't call, you don't text, you don't email. I understand Mayor Garcetti is slightly more important than me, but I have to admit, I was a little hurt. Well, Sam, guilty as charged is where I will start. I am sorry. And I obviously should have written, called, texted, tweeted, uh, sent smoke signals, probably reached out in all sorts of other ways. It was a short trip to L.A. Uh, I was in and out. But (laughs) next time I am there, uh, we still have that drink that we have to do. You know, I was going to give you more grief, but we have bigger issues to discuss. So I forgive you. Thank you. Last time we spoke, it was at the end of January. Since then, more than half of America has been vaccinated. But we've also seen significant outbreaks in India, Brazil, Russia, France, the UK. Let's start with where we're at right now in August. How are you thinking about the state of COVID and now Delta? So there are uh, multiple facets to the story of where we are. There is the U.S. version of this, which is we have a surge happening right now in the beginning of August uh, across the country. Uh, The surge is really, really bad in places that are not super well vaccinated. And it's happening almost exclusively among unvaccinated people. Now, we can talk about what what it means for vaccinated people in a second. And the surge is not about to end anytime soon. I think at least for the next few weeks, we are going to continue seeing increases in infections. Maybe by the end of August into September, we might see things starting to turn. But we're in for a pretty rough next couple of months. And the single biggest thing we can do to end this surge and the single biggest thing that left us vulnerable to the Delta variant surge is that we have about a third of American adults who have not gotten vaccinated uh, for all sorts of different reasons. And a third of Americans unvaccinated is really a pretty big risk. Now, let's look at this globally. So a third of American adults are not vaccinated. That means two thirds are. That puts America in the kind of top five, top seven in the world in terms of countries with vaccinations. Canada, UK, Israel, Germany now ahead of us. But much of the world is largely unvaccinated and the Delta variant is surging. And so when you look across the world, you can't help but worry about how many people are going to get infected, how many people are going to get sick, how many people are going to die in the upcoming weeks and months. And then there is the last bit, which I think is just worth keeping in mind, which is when we talked in January, I did not expect the Delta variant to even arise, let alone put this much of a stress on us. And so then the question that any reasonable person would have to ask themselves at this point is, what is the next variant that you're not quite expecting? And the short answer is we don't know. And there will be more variants. Uh, We will have to deal with them. Uh, I remain cautiously optimistic that our vaccines are going to hold up. But at the end of the day, the way we put this pandemic behind us is we got to get the world vaccinated. And that's a pretty tough challenge right now. Just this past week in The New Yorker, you said most Americans, I think, aren't aware of how much worse this could get. What does worse look like? So what worse looks like is, you know, I would argue that when we came out of January, February of this year, we thought, I thought, 
And I'll be honest with you. I, I did not think we would get to a point where we would see hospitals filled up. I did not think we'd get to a point where if you got into a car accident and ended up in the emergency room, they may not have an ICU bed for you because all the beds are filled with COVID. I just thought that part of the pandemic we had put behind us. And what I was trying to say in that New York article is that there will be parts of the country where that will happen again. And we're already seeing it in parts of the country. And most Americans, I think, just don't realize that the Delta surge is not a little blip and a few more people get infected. It's a it's like a hurricane passing through. And, you know, someone used the analogy, which I like, which is that you're we're going to be standing in a hurricane. If you're vaccinated, you have this absolutely awesome umbrella. But if you're standing outside in a hurricane in an umbrella, you're still probably going to get a little bit wet. And so we're all going to feel the effects of the Delta surge. Obviously, the unvaccinated, the people without an umbrella are going to get soaked. But the rest of us who are vaccinated are going to end up uh, having some effects as well. When it comes to the unvaccinated, you have said vaccines have been unevenly distributed, but they've also been unevenly accepted as necessary. Across the U.S. and even internationally, you've seen uh, mounting tension between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, some even shaming those who refuse to get vaccinated. Your view of the unvaccinated, however, seems to be more generous. Why is that? Well, I don't know if I'd call it generous. I, I would say as a physician and as a, as a public health person, I have never felt that shaming is a particularly powerful or it's actually very powerful, but it's not a particularly good, useful technique for getting people into a better place. You know, I, I spent today, this morning in the hospital seeing patients who are hospitalized, you know, at patients who had relapsed from their, uh, from their alcohol use disorder. There was going to be no use in my shaming that person and telling them that they're somehow a bad person. They're not. Well, I, I look at unvaccinated a little bit the same way. And I don't want to use that analogy too much because one is a health disorder and, and being unvaccinated is not. But the point is that in all of these things, you want to actually begin by trying to understand why people are where they are. And then if you think that they're in a place that puts themselves and their families at risk, you want to try to appeal to them and move them. I think calling people anti-vaxxers, yelling at them, screaming at them, saying that they're causing the pandemic to continue, I don't know that moves anybody in a positive direction. And I think just makes people feel more entrenched. And I want to end the pandemic and I want to do it with our society as much intact as possible. You've said that these people have been pummeled with misinformation. I guess I'm wondering at this stage of the pandemic, does it behoove people who have been vaccinated to convince those that are skeptical to get vaccinated? And if so, how do we have that conversation better without proselytizing? Yeah, it is a really good question, Sam. I think it does behoove all of us to engage with each other more. So it's not when I, you know, I'm a vaccinated person, obviously, and I, I care deeply about this and have been working on this. I almost never begin a conversation with somebody who's unvaccinated by saying my job is to get them to change their mind. It's not my job. My job is to understand what's holding them back. And my job is to help correct misperceptions that they may have. Ultimately, people have to choose. Now, they may be forced into it with vaccine mandates, which we can come back to. But it is not my job to convince people. It is my job to help them understand the facts and data as it, it really is and then make good choices for themselves. That's how we, I think, begin to do this is through conversation and understanding and not focus on the outcome. One idea I saw this weekend came from Jelani Cobb, who's a writer at The New Yorker. 
He tweeted, CDC has dramatically underutilized the fact that COVID attacks men's penises and can cause erectile dysfunction. I seriously think messaging on this would improve fax rates. An image of a wet noodle next to a picture of someone getting the shot and the words, you choose. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out there is data, right, that people who've had COVID have erectile dysfunction. Uh, Should we share that information with people? Absolutely. Will it move some people? It probably will. I don't know if that should be the lead CDC campaign, but if it helps some people get over the finish line, I'm fine with that. I do think that branding could work. Is that insane to, to say out loud? No, and and let's actually explore this. On some level, this is funny, but on some level, it's not at all funny. It's serious in the sense that the reason why it actually probably could work is because it connects to something that's meaningful to people, right? Like men do not want to have erectile dysfunction. It it has meaning for them. The you know you can tell people, oh, you'll end up in the ICU. Most people don't end up in the ICU. People know that. Uh, you might get sick, but you might not. And they may know people who have not. So I, I think we've not done a good enough job of explaining why people should get vaccinated and avoid getting COVID in terms that are meaningful to people. And this helps do that. Now, there are other things that can help do that, too. So this need not be our only campaign. But I actually think there's an insight here that we shouldn't lose, despite the fact that it's also kind of a funny idea. The sort of meaningful pleas to get vaccinated. You're talking about a sort of pathos and an emotional way of getting to someone. There are, like you mentioned, potential mandates coming from the company you work for, federal government. We are still waiting out on FDA approval. Where do you see this going in in terms of requiring vaccinations and, and those mandates coming from the government? Yeah, I think there will be very few government mandates, but there will be lots and lots and lots of private sector mandates. And and what the reason there are going to be a lot of private sector mandates is really quite straightforward, right? Which is imagine a university, and I'll pick mine, Brown University. We have a mandate. But in the conversations I had with our university leadership, we talked about what would life look like if we didn't have a mandate. And what would happen is you'd have 10, 20, 30% of people unvaccinated. And given that unvaccinated people spread very efficiently, especially with Delta, and they can spread it to vaccinated people, though not as easily, uh, you would start seeing outbreaks on campus. And that would mean people would have to wear masks all the time. And you'd have to do social distancing. And you couldn't have indoor concerts. And you couldn't have a show, a play. Uh, A lot of the classrooms would have to not, would just not be normal. And you'd have to do a lot more distancing. And maybe you'd have to go to, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, we're kind of back to where we were last year. And so the vaccines don't buy you the back to normal that they were promised if 20, 30% of the people are unvaccinated. Companies are beginning to realize this. Companies are now realizing if they bring back employees into their offices unvaccinated, they're gonna have to do testing of everybody on an ongoing basis. You know, would you wanna pack into a conference room with 15 people if a third of those people are unvaccinated and you don't know who is and who isn't? No, nobody wants that. So companies are coming to understand that they can't, like they're, and this is by the way, it's not for three months. This is for like years. And then they look at that and they think, oh, and I can make all that nonsense go away if I just ask everybody to be vaccinated. It feels like a no brainer. And that's what that is what is going to happen, I think, across the country. But that ask gets more complicated as schools reopen in the next month. 
how do you think we're going to be able to litigate that? Yeah, schools are such a frustrating conversation, not because they're not important. They are, and partly because they are so important and partly because we've so politicized this. And both sides of the school fights feel like the other side is being uh, excessive and irrational. So let's talk about a few things where we all agree. We all agree, we all should agree, that all kids should be back in school full-time this fall. There's no question about that. Second, I think we all should agree that we have all of the capability to make that happen in a way that is safe. Safe for kids, safe for adults. Okay. That part, I think everybody who's reasonable on this agrees. So then the question is, where does the disagreement begin? And I think there are two or three areas. The two big areas are the role of vaccines. So 12 and older, kids every kids can get vaccinated. And of course, all the adults can get vaccinated. If you are running a high school, and you really want to make that high school safe, just mandate vaccines for everybody. And that is going to make that high school extremely safe. Most school districts are are not going to do that. By the way, you know who is going to do that? A lot of private schools are doing that because then they don't have to worry. So that's kind of number one. Kids under 12, obviously not vaccinated. So what do you do? And the second area of contentiousness beyond vaccines is masks. Do you ask kids under 12 to wear masks? And you have one side that says that's an abomination and kids should never wear masks and it somehow hurts their development. And they have the other side that says under every circumstance, kids should definitely be wearing a mask and they pose a danger to teachers who are vaccinated. And the two things I would say are that it's not so clear to me that unvaccinated kids pose much of a danger to vaccinated teachers. But second, kids do get infected. They do get sick. They do pass it on to each other. And so it's pretty reasonable to have kids under 12 wear masks and kids over 12 be vaccinated and we can do this. And if you're not going to mandate masks, uh, I'm sorry, if you're not going to mandate vaccines for kids over 12, then asking them to mask up is not a, you know, it's not unreasonable. There are lots of different paths to getting to everybody back in school. I'd like to have less fighting about it and more coming to an agreement of what people can tolerate and how we do this safely. Even as we try to reopen schools safely and more and more people get vaccinated there is this issue of breakthrough cases which have been uh, you know has been discussed a whole bunch but vaccinated people getting and then spreading delta with these breakthroughs the debate over mask mandates hello hello malcolm grabwell here from revisionist history if you've watched a professional tennis match recently you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit. And I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. 
I mean, you could only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts. Has returned. You said in The New Yorker, from a policy point of view, the question in my mind isn't whether vaccinated people should be masked up. It's do you have an indoor mask mandate for everybody or nobody? Where, where are you at on this? So let's talk breakthrough infections first, because I think breakthrough infections kind of need to be understood. And if it's okay, Sam, I'm going to take just a quick minute to talk about a little immunology. Immunology is very complicated, and I'm going to simplify it. And I'm sure there's some world-class immunologists who are going to shake their heads and say it's too simplistic. But here's how to think about it. That's a big base of the talk easy audience, by the way. (laughs) I know, I know, I know which is why I had to put that caveat in. So if you think about your immune system, you think about it in two groups. You have your active forces, and then you have your reserves, okay? Active forces, the antibodies, your reserves, your B cells, and your T cells. Now, what happens with Delta is that Delta variant is such a nasty variant. There's so much more viral load that even with a really good immune response from a vaccine, Sometimes you get so much of the virus that can overwhelm your active forces, those antibodies, and then you have a breakthrough infection. But boy, the moment that happens, 
your reserves kick in, the B cells and T cells, and they show up and they clean up the infection. So you might feel sick for a couple of days, right? You might have a fever and you might feel pretty lousy for a couple of days, but you are extremely unlikely to end up in the hospital or unfortunately, you know, for the rare cases, dead, uh, because you have these phenomenal reserves that will show up. All right. So breakthrough infections happen. They happen pretty infrequently. And when they happen, people who have a breakthrough infection generally do not spread as efficiently as if you were not vaccinated. Do people with breakthrough infections occasionally spread? They can. Pretty rare, but they can. So that means if you are around a whole lot of unvaccinated people during a lot of transmission, you might be better off putting on a mask if you don't want that breakthrough infection. If you're a pretty young, healthy person and you say, I don't really care about a breakthrough infection, then fine. Don't put on a mask. But I think asking vaccinated people when they're around a lot of unvaccinated people in a high transmission area to mask up is not unreasonable because you're essentially preventing these breakthrough infections. They're not going to kill you, but they can be a nuisance. And by the way, like in the ideal world, what you would do is you would have the unvaccinated all masked up and then the vaccinated people just fine walking around without a mask. But we have no way of doing that, right? Like you can't walk into a grocery store, show your card. So then it's a policy that says, is everybody masking or is nobody masking? In high transmission areas, it's reasonable to ask everybody to mask because what you're really trying to do is make sure the unvaccinated are masked and you get a little benefit for the vaccinated as well. Putting a pause on the conversation for a second. I know we are in the throes of summer and many of you are traveling, taking time off, trying to just relax after this past year. But I have an ask to make. It's a modest one. As a listener-supported show, the best way you can help us continue Talk Easy is by sharing the podcast. That's all. Just sharing it. With a friend, a family member, on social media, over email. The best way for new people to find Talk Easy is you. So there's no wrong way to do this. However you spread the word about what we do here is much appreciated. You can tag us across social media at TalkEasyPod. You can also listen and subscribe to our entire 230-plus episode back catalog on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and our website at www.TalkEasyPod.com. That's TalkEasyPod.com. Thank you in advance for the love and support. Five years in, I wouldn't be here without it. And now, back to Dr. Ashish Jha. Before we go, I have some lingering questions that I know I've heard other people ask in my life and, and people sent along to me before talking to you. First, according to this Israeli study, we've seen waning immunity as the pandemic continues. Do you think a booster shot will be necessary? If so, what's the timeline on when someone should think about getting that third or second shot if they had the Johnson & Johnson? You know, Sam, if you and I were together a couple of months ago, I would have said, I don't think a booster shot is going to be necessary. But the data from Israel over the last month has really been pretty compelling. 
And I believe that if you are more than six months out of your second shot, and if you are frail, elder, or have are immunocompromised, uh, you probably need that third shot or second shot if you got the J&J. That means that I think in sometime in August, but probably certainly by September, we're going to start seeing nursing homes and other places starting to give booster shots. Immunocompromised people are going to start getting a booster shot. I think the rest of us, people under 65 or even over 65, let's say, who are pretty healthy and vibrant, it's not clear to me that they need a booster shot anytime soon. And to the extent that any of us get it, it might be late fall, winter, or more likely 2022. Theoretically, at what point would we reach herd immunity? Is that just completely out the window at this point? It's not out the window, but if the goal is that we want the virus to essentially become background noise, that it occasionally shows up in our lives, somebody you know gets infected, but they do fine, uh, and it's an annoyance, but that you and I are sitting together indoors at a bar having a beer and not worried about getting COVID, we probably need 80, 85% of people to be vaccinated. We are far, far from that still. So we have some ways to go. But if people are willing to get the vaccine, we can put this pandemic behind us. I actually remain pretty optimistic because my take is people are getting tired of this pandemic and there is going to be a push. There can be more mandates and we're going to see a large uptick in vaccinations. And I think you're going to see a lot of communities get to very high levels of vaccination rates and life will begin to go back to normal. Some people have thought that uptick will come with FDA approval. Can you make sense of of what is going on with the FDA in approving these vaccines? So FDA approval, full approval requires, in my mind, two things. First, you want to make sure you've got the data and the evidence. You don't want to just approve something willy-nilly. You want to approve it because you have solid data. And then the second is there's a bunch of paperwork, a bunch of administrative stuff, a bunch of things to check. You go, you go visit all these plants multiple times and you sit down with the executives of the company and you have conversations about labeling. There's all this other stuff. And it takes usually about six months, sometimes longer, for the FDA to approve a new thing. And the FDA has been cooking along in its six to 12 month path saying, yeah, we'll approve it at some point down the road. Uh, And my take is, I understand it normally takes you six months, but we're in a global pandemic. Like maybe you can speed up some of the paperwork. So let's talk about the science. Here's a fact that people need to know. We have more evidence and data that has been more carefully scrutinized for these vaccines than anything the FDA has ever approved in the history of the FDA. This is not a question of, oh, they're waiting for more data. We've got the data. They're just kind of going through all of it as they do, and they're taking their time, and they're being careful. I want them to be careful. But I want them to be careful on the science and the data and not careful on all the other stuff they have to do. That stuff they can move on. So they initially were saying January. I think a bunch of us basically said that's unacceptable because it makes no sense. And now their latest is they think maybe by September they can get it together and do an approval. It's tough because when you say something like speed up, Immediately, people think, does that include cutting corners? Yeah. And look, if I for half a second thought it meant cutting corners, then you lose the whole point of FDA approval, right? The only reason that I feel comfortable saying speed up is because I know that the data and evidence that they need to evaluate is all in. 
They're looking at it. That part does not need speeding up, and I don't want them to speed that part up. But, you know, if it takes them four weeks to sit down with the company executives to figure out how to label the vaccine, do it in two. If it takes a month to do three visits to three different plants, do it in a week. That stuff can get sped up, right? Like, don't be like, oh, yeah, at some point in the fall, we'll go visit a plant, see what it's looking like. I know you are very busy with your very impressive new job. Okay, I feel like you're making fun of me, Sam, but I'm going to ignore it. Please keep going. I am not making fun of you. It is nothing but love for you. But I think it may be helpful for people to hear this as we reenter gradually. How have you been moving through the world week to week? I mean, are you socializing? Are you working with colleagues in person? Are you seeing your older parents? When you do this, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? I just can you walk us through what your life looks like? Yeah, I'll tell you what my life looked like a month and a half ago. And then I've made some minor modifications in the last week. But yeah, I socialize. I see people. Uh, I'd say a month and a half ago, I was going out to dinner and eating inside. Met a friend for a drink inside a bar. Uh, that felt pretty comfortable. Uh, seeing my older, uh, my elderly parents, not wearing a mask at home. I have a nine-year-old who's not vaccinated. Uh, but my wife and my two teenage daughters are both vaccinated. Um, and largely feeling like things were good. And then when the Delta variant really started taking off in the last week and a half, we saw infection numbers rise here in Massachusetts. I think largely a spillover to some extent from that big outbreak that happened in Provincetown. And I decided that for the next few weeks, I'm going to avoid indoor dining. I'm just not going to go out. I'll eat outside at restaurants. But it's August. It's lovely. Eating outside in, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island is very, very easy So for the next month or so, I'm just going to see how things play out, and I'll probably avoid that. I still have colleagues coming into work. I sit down with them. No one wears a mask because everybody's vaccinated. And if you're hanging out with only vaccinated people, you largely don't have to worry. It's really when you start hanging out with a lot of unvaccinated people that you have to start being a bit more careful. And that's right now with the Delta variant surging. I think that too will pass. You know, you and I have sat together I think six times since March of 2020, if you can believe it. And I keep returning to this question as someone who's been working toward ending the pandemic around the clock. How have you processed this last year and a half? In some ways, Sam, I feel like I have a lot of processing to do. I still feel like we're in the thick of it. I did feel a month and a half ago like things were starting to get much, much better, maybe mid-June. But certainly by later part of June, you could see Delta starting to have its effects. And therefore, it still feels a little bit like crisis mode. And when you're in crisis mode, you don't do a lot of reflecting. And I will tell you that I have not done a lot of reflecting. And I worry about that, by the way. I don't say that with any pride and I don't say that without concern. I haven't, again, I'm not trying to engender a lot of sympathy here, but I haven't had like a whole week off just from work since February of last year. But we got to get through this. I remain pretty optimistic that like life in America is going to get better, certainly by the end of this year. I'd hoped it would be this summer, but Delta and the fact that a third of Americans not vaccinated uh, really did catch me uh, off guard, especially the unvaccinated, much higher numbers than I thought. And I will, I need to take time off and reflect and think about what I have learned about me and what I have learned about America and what I have learned about how we do this better the next time around. As we leave... I keep trying to put this all in perspective because 
there's so much collective fear around life returning to what it was in 2020. But then I remember the vaccines and just how miraculous they are, which I think is often overlooked in all of this. You know, a year ago, last August, I had a conversation with Tony Fauci and we were looking at some preliminary data that was out on vaccines. And we all thought, boy, we'd be so lucky if we had vaccines that maybe reduce infections by 50 or 60 percent. But we didn't even think that these vaccines would prevent us from getting sick against all these potential variants. These vaccines have surpassed every expectation that I had. Um, we have thrown alpha and beta and gamma and delta and all these, you know, Greek letter variants at it. They keep going. They keep ticking. And, and they sometimes get a little, you know, it's the way I look at it. They kind of get bruised, but they still hold up. And what I would say to folks is the single biggest thing that being vaccinated has done for me is I no longer worry about getting really, really sick from COVID. I no longer worry about ending up in a hospital or dying. At worst, I'm going to be pretty miserable for a few days. That totally changes your calculus. And if you've not been vaccinated, that calculus is still there in front of you. You still have to worry about those things. So thank goodness for these vaccines. I don't know what America would be like, not just in terms of suffering and death, but the social upheaval that we would be facing as a country if we had not had vaccines this good. One more quick thing is these vaccines didn't come out of thin air. They came out of years of investments in science, but also incredible global cooperation. I don't know that we've had a chance to talk about this before, but, you know, the Pfizer vaccine that we all love talking about, the science behind it was largely developed by a Hungarian scientist uh, who worked on this topic for years. And then her work was translated by a couple of Turkish immigrants who live in Germany to create the vaccine that then was manufactured by an American company. Like, talk about the power of globalization. And so global science is the best tool we have against these horrible scourges. And you are, in my opinion, the best person to explain all this to us. So I wish you that week off. I hope it comes sooner than later. Until then, thank you for the time, as always. Sam, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. And I will make it back out to L.A. and we will have that drink. And I look forward to it. (laughs) Dr. Ja, thank you very much. Bye-bye. That's our show. Special thanks this week to Marok Irani and, of course, Dr. Ashish Jha. He's the Dean of Public Health at Brown University. To learn more about him and his work, visit our show notes at talkeasypod.com. You can listen and subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. If you'd like to join our mailing list, drop me a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producers are Caitlin Dryden and Nikki Spina. Our lead editor is Andre Lin. 
Our editors for today's episode are Eve Gershon and Clarice Guevara. Our assistant editor is Joshua Siegel. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Orion Wong, Ian Jones, Isabel Primavera, and Ethan Seneca. Special thanks to Callie Syringus, Kaylin Ung, Patrice Lee, and Grace Perkins. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We're back next week with Candace Parker. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.